Do you have your Bible with you tonight? 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, and Ephesians chapter 6, just as a reference. Ephesians 6 and verse 12. We've been using 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 as a text in this study. And it tells us that we're not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. 2 Corinthians 2, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, the good thing about it is that we really aren't. Well, we might not have had the best teaching in the world or the most thorough teaching on the subject, but we've had enough teaching on this subject that you individually know that the world lieth in darkness, that demonic activity is everywhere. Now, a lot of people wouldn't call it that, but that's what the Bible would call it. And that there is destruction and darkness everywhere. Darkness rules in this world. Darkness rules, John 3 says, because people hate light. Because they hate light, they love darkness. And you can see it in the personalities. You can see it in lifestyles. You can see it in the way people treat people and the way people do things and conduct their lives whether they're things immoral or things vulgar or lying and cheating and stealing and robbing and hurting and murdering people. All of this is the work of the devil. In fact, everything that happens in this world, every single thing that is unrighteous is of the devil. Now you think of that. Everything that is unrighteous, everything that glorifies man or a man system of any sort, of any kind, Man's life, man's accomplishments, it's not right. It's of the devil. God came to glorify his son, Jesus. And the devil works overtime to rob you of seeing that and of being blessed by that and partaking of all of that and pursuing that. He gives you other things to do because that's what the devil does. Those are his devices. Now, if you've never been taught much about this, or you know very little about it, you won't recognize these things, and eventually you'll be snared by it. I notice in Ephesians 6 and verse 12. Ephesians 6 and verse 12. But we wrestle, we individually, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against this, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. And we're not talking about political rulers or presidents or kings or people. He began that by saying, we're not fighting flesh and blood. Our war is not against political systems of this world. It's what's behind it. It's the corruption and the evil that's behind everything. And we have to recognize that not only personally, so we can avoid being snared by it and living a life distant from the devil and keeping him at bay, but also because as Christian, as believers, as workers in God's kingdom, workmen, we're going to have to deal with a lot of people. You will in your life. You're going to encounter people who have demonic activity. They don't know it. You do. And God will send these people along your path, and you'll be able to talk to people and point out to them that what you're describing or what you're talking about is of the devil. They won't like it because they never heard that. The idea that I could have demonic activity in my life. And yet it's so common. 
It's common to us because we've learned to recognize the work of the devil because we've had to study and talk about it. And the more we live the Christian life, the more we begin to be aware of all this stuff. If we don't, and if we're not aware of this, then we're unable to cope with the powers of darkness, and we ourselves will be overtaken by them because we wouldn't know what we're doing. We wouldn't recognize that the devil's behind that. Or we see the little Disney World shirt with all the witches and stuff on it, or the little innocent movies of the princes and the kings and the little elves and witches and all the little occult stuff. We don't realize that behind all of that, as we saw in Deuteronomy 7, there's a devil behind that. We're told to avoid the appearance of evil. We're told to withdraw ourselves from all of that kind of stuff. But yet, if nobody teaches that, we'll fall victim to it. And then most people are usually upset with you because you said that. But it's true. We are living tonight in your lifetime and my lifetime, my parents' lifetime and their parents' lifetime. We're living in the domain of Satan. He's called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that rules the darkness of this world. Jesus said that. And Jesus' prayer was that we wouldn't be taken out of this world, but he would leave us in this world. There's a good reason that God would leave us in this world. Who else in the whole world can deal with the devil besides Christians? I'm not talking about church members. I'm talking about Christians or believers. There is nobody in the world that can deal with demonic things other than believers. And part of the world's hope is us. That may sound arrogant to some people, but it's the truth. He said, we are called lights in this world, are we not? Lights. Our lives should call attention to the Lord. This is the way Christians live. I used to live this way. Look at what happened. Let your light so shine before the world that others may see and glorify And when somebody comes up to you because you're living the life and you're learning how to fight the good fight of faith and you're successfully engaged in warfare and they see you abstaining from a lot of things and not doing this and not doing that and they see how you seem to be well a lot and you seem to be happy and peaceful all the time, the Bible says you be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is within you. Well, we have that because of God's good grace. He brought us together and opened our eyes and let us see these things. Who else in the world, other than a few pockets here and a few pockets there, who else can see this? I know how that sounds, but who else wants to see it? The church is so busy trying to get big and trying to appeal to the world and be a center-friendly body that they set all this stuff aside because it disturbs people. It doesn't make people happy, and you can't have a happy, comfortable church if you deal with things that people have to deal with. So they set all these things aside, and they don't realize that the devil is making meat of these people. He's destroying them and their children and their homes and everything else, and, and they don't recognize his work. And even if they did, they couldn't do anything about it. But you can't. You can't. If we don't deal with it, who will? If we can't deal with him, nobody else can. Well, I think one thing the devil fears more than anything is an armed believer. One whose mind has been renewed 
whose mind is being shown things that he must deal with. You're going to have to cope with these things in your family, in your home, at your job, working, in the church. All oh, the devil's looking for you. He goes about like a roaring lion. He's looking for somebody he can devour. His main weapon, other than fear, is ignorance. Just keep your mind closed. Look for the fun things in life. Just don't be wary. Don't be sober. Don't be circumspect. Don't get all that serious and religious. Just have fun, man. You're only here for a little while. And that kind of philosophy has destroyed a lot of people. Those kind of people are happy with an hour on Sunday morning. They don't go during the week to church because they're not interested in teaching. They're interested in doing things and not being what God wants them to be. So we've been studying on deliverance. We'll probably end it tonight. This is our 11th session on it. I want to deal tonight with three areas that we must understand concerning deliverance, not only for ourselves or in our homes, but also with others that we're going to run into and encounter and meet. Let's start with, first of all, area is our authority. You have to begin there. Our authority. Now, we've already taught about the blood and the spirit and the word and so forth and praise as our weapons. But our authority tonight, as a believer, and this only applies for believers, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been equipped to deal with anything in this life you'll ever face. So well have we been equipped that God holds us to overcoming all things. Not to be overcome by anything, but to overcome all things. For again, he said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God. The weapons that have been given to us, whether we use them or not, whether we even know it or not, the weapons that have been given to us as believers are mighty through God to the pulling down in your own life strongholds, or there may be a stronghold in your family or in your city or in your school or somewhere else. And the weapons that we have are able to successfully overthrow whatever it is that God sets before you to deal with. There is nothing that you will have to face that God hasn't given you something greater than that. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Therefore, it is implied that we must conquer. We must engage in warfare. We can't run and we can't hide and we can't say, ooh, I don't like that, ooh, that bothers me, I'm scared to call somebody. We can't do that. We're soldiers. We're called soldiers. We're supposed to war a good war. And fight the good fight, not against flesh and blood, but against these unseen forces out there that are trying to destroy everybody. Jesus said it like this concerning our authority. Mark 16, verse 16 and 17, he said, These signs shall follow those who join church. No. These signs shall follow those who teach Sunday school class and are water baptized. No. No. These signs shall follow those who believe. He said they shall speak in new tongues. That's already put aside. They shall cast out demons. Well, that's already uh, put out. Nobody wants to do that. If they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. Well, that's for somebody. That, that surely is not us. Turn over there. Mark 16, there at the very end, 
He said in verse 17, in fact, the first thing he says that believers will do is cast out devils. That means you're going to run into them. You're going to face them. And if it says you cast them out, it means that you're stronger than they are. You have authority over them. Amen. Now, whether you accept that or not, it's true. It'll always be true. We can't make that true. It is true by virtue of the Bible says it. And he said, then they'll speak with new tongues. Well, how many have done either? How many glowing church members and glowing church testimonies and glowing church movements have done either one of those? Now, how would they feel if I said, then apparently you're not a believer? <laughs> well, you know what they say. There is something about the spirit of this world that wants to suppress the truth to make you decent. Don't say that. People won't like you. Well, I guess you're right about that. It's almost like we're afraid to say what is obvious because so many people will not like you by saying that. So we have to make up our mind who we're serving anyway. But verse 13 said, they shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I doubt, and I can't prove any of this, it's just an opinion that the greater part of the Christian church as it exists on this earth has never done that, and I doubt a very few of them even believe that. Those are all supernatural things, even taking up serpents, because that has to do with deliverance and authority over the devil. Didn't Jesus say, I give you power over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy? Well, a snake's not my enemy and a scorpion's not my enemy, but he is symbolic of the devil and what he does and how he puts fear into people and hurts people if they contact him. Jesus said, I give you power over him. Yes, you'll cast him out, but I'll also give you authority over them so that you can wade into his domain and not be afraid of him. You don't have to back down. You don't have to be scared. Oh, something might get me. I remember times in my life, well, don't drink that because you don't know how that affects your body. And I said, I'm drinking it. Well, don't eat that because you know what that, I'm eating it. I'm not running and I'm not going to be scared to trust God on his terms and then run in fear to appease the devil. Do the thing you fear the most, and the death of fear is certain. Amen. Another thing about all of this, turn to Luke chapter 9. Go over to the right just a few pages. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. I'm talking about your authority. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Well, that's what he said in Mark 16, didn't he? Well, somebody says, well, he's only talking here about his apostles. Only the apostles had this authority. Did he not say he called the 12, not us or anybody else, but he called the 12 together. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Well, look over in chapter 10. Keep going. Chapter 10 and verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. Well, they obviously weren't apostles. They were believers. They were followers. He appointed 70 more to do the same things and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. And then down in verse 17, and the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us through thy name. That's the way it's supposed to be. 
This should be our testimony also. They said, well, he gave it to the 70 and to the 12. Well, read again, Mark 16. Did not Jesus say in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me? Yes. And what did he tell his disciples? Did he said, I tell you, you go and do what I did. Did he cast out devils and heal the sick? Of course he did. Then we can too. That's part of our commission. That's what we're supposed to do. And yet people still stand and wonder, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, you can't. You don't have the power to do this. There's no school in the world you can learn how to do this. There's no little group you can huddle around in and get the ability to do it. Only God can do it. But he uses you. We are God's representatives on this earth. We represent the kingdom of God. The only attachment this earth has with God is you. Now, we're called the salt of the earth, are we not? Salt gives flavor to the earth. Salt holds back the forces of destruction. You salt hams down, plus that other stuff they put in, so it won't rot. That's what salt does. It suppresses decay, and it gives flavor to your eggs in the morning. And Jesus used salt as a type of what we're to be on this earth. We function like that. We've been equipped. We have power. We have an anointing that God has given us something whereby we can rightly represent him anywhere, anywhere in the world, wherever you are, wherever he sends you. You go with the idea that I can be useful to God and where he sends me, that's where I will go. And when things face me that are demonic, I am able to deal with it as long as God anoints me to deal with it. It doesn't mean you'll always deal with it. The martyrs were willing to die. They weren't willing to flee or rebuke the fire or rebuke the people who persecuted them. They just sit there and died. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, he said, you're going to have persecution for so many days, and then you're going to die. Be faithful unto death. Well, that doesn't sound good. What's overcoming there? Being faithful. Those were his instructions to those people. We represent him. The world should take note that you have been with God. Wherever you go, somebody should recognize, if they're around you long, that you're a Christian. It should bother them to use bad words around you. And if they don't mind that, you shouldn't be around them anyway. But he said in verse 17 through 19, they came back and said, Even the devils are subject to us through thy name. And he said unto them, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. And he did when the devil fell. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Listen to this. And nothing shall by any means, methods, shall harm you. Does your Bible say that? Now, is that for me today or was that only for them back then? If that's for me today, and I say me editorially for us, if that's for us today, then we have backed off. He said, nothing shall by any means harm you. I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you.
Well, then we have authority. We have the authority to deal with things. Whether we do or not, we have authority. Remember what Peter said in Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, and that man was begging alms at the gate called Beautiful. And Peter and John stopped, and Peter looked at him, and he said, Silver and gold have I none. What else did he say right after that? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. I give to you. It was his to give because it was his commission to take that and to do that. He said, and such as I have, give I to thee. And then he said, rise up and walk. Reached out and grabbed his hand and jerked him up on his feet. Can you do that? Well, Peter couldn't do it either unless he was anointed. If you think you can just do it without God, go find you some crippled people. See how many of them get healed. We'll get to that Next. But point one is that you have authority. If you don't realize that first, you'll never go any further than just wondering why it doesn't work or I wish somebody would do something about it. Whether it's that child that can't sleep at night or strange behaviors and things in the family, you have authority over that. You do. Second thing that you must understand about deliverance when it comes time for you to either deal with yourself or your past or with others or your children. The second thing is that you're limited. We have natural limitations as to what we can do. You ever heard people say, well, if you believe that, why don't you go down and empty all the hospitals? I wonder if anybody ever said that to Jesus. Well, if you have all this power and authority, why don't you go empty the hospitals? I wish I could. That's where I would start. I'd start at the children's hospital. That's where I'd start. If I could. I know that I have power and authority over spirits. I also know that in the spiritual realm, they know their rights. For example, if you give place to the devil willingly, either by ignorance or just willfully, and you give place to the devil and he gains a grip or a hold on you, do you think you can just tell him to go and he has to go? There's more to it than that. That's why we have to be taught. If I taught everything about deliverance that I myself understand, and all the little details and all the facets of it, we'd be here for months. And we get bored with some of it because a lot of it runs together. But essentially, it comes down to this. We're here. We have a reason for being here, many reasons. One of them is to represent God. We cannot avoid the devil and demonic situations. Unavoidable. You live in a dark world, you're going to face a dark spirit. And you are equipped to deal with it. And you must not run from it. You'll never have the courage and the confidence to live this life if you don't deal with it. If you're always scared or if you back off or you're there, then God won't use you. He'll find somebody else. But somebody is going to represent him. Even though it costs us to live this way. Like Jesus said, that I was showing what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. He's going to suffer. It's going to cost him all that he had built up and dreamed of having. He's going to walk away from all of that, but he's going to serve me. And in the end, he gets heaven. Turn to Mark 6. I'll ask you a question while you turn. Why didn't Jesus heal everyone he saw sick or demonized? Why didn't he heal them? Do you suppose Jesus in his travels ever saw sick people 
and kept on going? You think you ever saw demonic people or demonic uh, situations, insane people or lunatic, the Bible calls them? Not meant that be ugly. Not, that's just what the Bible calls them. You suppose he saw people that were lepers that he did not heal, did not try to heal, didn't even go into the colony to heal them. Why didn't he just go in there and wipe out all of them? Why didn't he heal them all? Why didn't he go to the leper colony and say, all of you, be healed, and then they were all well. After all, if you were God, you'd do that, wouldn't you? Doesn't God care? Don't you hear people say that? Well, why doesn't God do something? Doesn't he care? I don't know if I want to serve a God like that, let all this corruption in the world take place, and all these people that are dying, little children dying of starvation and sickness and disease all over the world, and, and ugly, mean people are ruling. Well, what kind of a God are you all serving? Oh, he's a good God. You've got to realize that God gave the world a will. And everybody gets to make choices in this world. God shows you what choice you want to make. Not everybody's willing to make that choice. You make the wrong choice, you open up the door to a wrong spirit. And he comes in. When he gets in, he does what he does. He's limited too. Just like God told the devil concerning Job. The devil said, well, I can't do any more to him. you got that hedge around him. Is that true? Well, the devil would love to eliminate Job, but he couldn't touch him. What if you lived a life that was so clean with God that he had a hedge about you? And all the devil could do is stand afar off and gnash his teeth. Know what Psalm 23 says? He prepares our table in the presence of what? Our enemy? What does our enemy do? Nothing. What you eat. What you have your freedoms and go through your life as long as you keep your door shut to the devil. Keep yourself clean. As long as you stand your ground and do everything he wants you, what's the devil going to do? I'm telling you, I hope you listen to me. The church is full of flawed thinking. The mind is not tuned in to the things that God has for them because we're cluttered with all the fears of what if and I don't understand and what we're going to do and now. And yet this simple word just simply says, as a resurrected Lord, I chose you out of the miry clay. I'm equipping you with what I had. How about that? As the Father sent me, so send I you. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God because it came from God. The power that we have comes from God. Even our protection comes from God. No temptation has taken you but such as this common man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be attacked or tempted by the devil beyond what you're able. We have no reason to lose or be afraid. But people are. Churches just like this one, hearing better than we've heard. They live in fear too. Some people aren't, but too many are. It shouldn't be like that. Sometimes I like to think that for all these years, we'd be a little further along than we are. And sometimes you realize that it doesn't look like very many have heard a whole lot. And it shouldn't be like that. We should be champions on this earth. Not looking for somebody to fight, but not looking to run either. Unless, of course, the Lord tells you to run and there'd be a reason for doing that. But in Mark chapter 6, are you there yet? Mark chapter 6 and verse 5. 
It says, why didn't Jesus empty all the hospitals? Well, it said, and he could there do no mighty work. Who couldn't? Jesus. You know what it said? He could there do no mighty work? That doesn't sound right. That's right. It doesn't fit our philosophy and our understanding and our opinions of Jesus. He, Jesus, could there do no mighty work except lay his hands on a few sick folk, a few sick folk, and heal them. Why? Why couldn't he do it? Verse 6. It says, he, as God in a body, as God in human form, he marveled. Can you imagine looking at the universe and all the created order and all the things that you could go for a, a long time and go, wow. And all the things you could just be, oh, wow. And here's the case where God marveled. You know what he marveled at? He said, I am here. I am he. And you don't believe it. Now, your unbelief cancels what I brought. Is that right? He could there do no mighty work. Was he able to do mighty? Well, certainly God was in him. Well, why didn't he just do it anyway? Because there are certain ways that God has chosen to operate with man on this earth. This is one of them. Yes, there are times which God healed a lot of people, doesn't say a thing about their faith or what they believed or where they'd even been. That was a testimony to who he was when he healed the hundreds or the thousands. But in this particular case, in his own hometown, isn't that the, isn't that the carpenter's boy down there used to play out there? Yeah. Well, Who does he think he is, the Messiah? He could do no mighty work. The latent inward ability to do it was in him. But it wasn't brought out of him because of people's unbelief. Same thing is true with us. Everything we need to be successful, peaceful, joyful, Fearless and free has been given to us. Nothing has been left out of all of our needs in this world. Nothing. Everything that we will ever need to be everything that God wants us to be has already been given. Whether you find it out or learn it or not, it's already been given. And yet a lot of people live like they've never heard of such a thing or could such a thing be true. And the devil is happy with that because he can do his work and nobody stops him. Nobody resists him because Christians aren't sure that they can. Or he has so subtly confused the minds of people that they think, well, you just can't say all the evil stuff in the world is of the devil. I mean, after all, I mean, some things just happen to people in life. It can't always go well with you. Well, that's strange because the Bible says several times that it shall be well with you and your seed after you. I do want it well with me and my seed after me. I do. I do. Turn to John. Let me show you something. I'm sure you've seen this. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But if you have, fine. Just bear with me. John chapter 5 and verse 30. Listen to what Jesus said, because the same thing is true with us. As he is, so are we. Isn't that right? As he is, so are we. He said, for I can of my own self do anything. What does he say? Verse 30. It's on the right-hand side, page 1635. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. Is that true with us? 
I cannot, by appearing in this world, standing on this stage, announcing that I am a Christian, that does not mean that I can, as I please, when I please, do all the things that he said that I can do. But there is nothing he said that I can do that I can't do when he does it. Did you get all that? In other words, he gives me his word. I let his word settle in my heart to where hopefully I have confidence and certainty of it. This is his way of telling me, you are mine and this is what I want you to do as I instruct you, as I lead you. I don't think you can do this on your own as I lead you. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of my father which has sent me. Look at verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, neither can you. But when God instructs, shows, and reveals, or anoints, there's nothing you can't do. You can do all things. That tells us that that's why we can't just go into the hospitals or find anybody sick anywhere and lay hands on them and, and expect them to be healed. We must be led by the Spirit. And we must be armed and equipped with our minds to know the truth. But the truth belongs to God. The operation of the truth belongs to God. We are vessels. God puts his truth in earth in vessels. And by his Spirit, we're led in places where this truth is prompted by the Spirit. And we dispense it. That is, we yield it. We do it. We speak it. And God does his work through us. But we must always follow. He must always lead. And so when we get to the place where we think we can just operate spiritual gifts or spiritual things whenever we want to. I'm sure I've told you way too many times years ago that fellow in Illinois was upset with me. I never got invited back and I'm really glad about that. I mean, I didn't care to go back. He was upset with me because I didn't do spiritual gifts. Because that was back in a time when the preachers made money off of gifts. You just had to act like you're anointed. I mean, some of them were good at it. I've been around them. I've seen them come and go more than you all have. I've been around them, watched them, and sit there and think, how do you get by with that? But they do. People like it. They begin to act real spiritual. Brother, the word of God has just come to me and God has shown me that you have, and they say stuff and people like it. And then of course, I don't have such an urging. I'd love to, I really would, the real deal. And it will come. But in the meantime, I am quite at peace with just doing what I'm doing. And when I'm through doing it, stand to your feet, say something and go home. I have no toys, no gadgets, no shine, no show. I just have anointing to do one thing in my life right now, and that's what I'm doing. And I didn't get up there and act like I had some gift and start prophesying or giving prophecies to people. He said, aren't you going to function in the gifts? I said, I wish I could. I'd love to. Because these gifts are for the good of the body, set the captives free, not to entertain them. Well, I'm gone, but you're over. It's done. Jesus couldn't just do whatever he wanted to do. When he was here, he said, I do those things the Father shows me. I do those things that the Father speaks to me. 
Like in chapter 8, in verse 28, Jesus said, I do nothing of myself. You see that halfway through the verse? I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Or the works that I do are the Father's works, he said in another place. What do we learn from that? We know we have authority. We have too much Bible that tells us what we are capable and able to do when inspired, when so unctioned. How's that? Or anointed. Look at all the things it can do. But you have to be led by the Spirit to do this as God wants you to do it. Because there's sometimes he doesn't want to do that. You can't just heal people in hospitals and things of that sort because only as God does it can you do it. Let's face it. There's a lot of people in this world who are bound but are under a curse. Now, if they're under a curse that God has laid on them, do you think you can get them out from under the curse that God has laid on them without fighting against God? Well, I'm not trying to figure out wherever I go, I wonder who all's under a curse here. All I want to know is that wherever I am with whoever it is, whatever the situation, I want to have an undeniable knowledge that what I'm feeling or what is stirring me is of God for a specific purpose. That's what gifts are for. I don't want to work none of them up. I want to know it's God doing it. I got to have a relationship with God so intact that when and if he wants to use me that way, he teaches me how to know when he's dealing with me about it. I've heard men talk about having signs in their palms of their hands about when God begins to move. Great healing ministries. More than one of them I've heard tell about that. Branham used to have that. You know, while you're preaching, these things start happening, and you know you can take a step in that direction because you know God wants to do something like that. Now, what if I imitate him? What if I said, well, if it'll work for one of those guys, it'll work for me. And so while I'm talking, I say, whew, got something going on in my hands. Okay, I need a head. How many of you know nothing would happen? But if I could act it long enough and good enough and get an easy enough subject to lay hands on empty hands on empty heads, how many of you know somebody would buy that? Somebody would believe that. But none of it, none of it would glorify God. It would all make them look to me, want me to prophesy, want to go to my means to hear me. God said he wouldn't share his glory in Isaiah 40. He wouldn't share his glory with anybody except his own. And so you have to realize that there are some people that don't get healed. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30 said, For this cause in the Corinthian church, many are weak and sickly and some sleep. They didn't get healed. They had gifts of healings in the church. Gifts, plural, of healings, plural, different kinds of healings. Whether headaches, backs, feet, noses, or gizzards or whatever was wrong with people. People had often had a healing for certain things. I knew a lady once that had healing for backs. I've heard of people that could lay hands on a headache and it would heal it. The gifts of healings. They had all of that Corinth. Workings of miracles in that church. All the gifts operated there. The gifts that do something, the gifts that say something, the gifts that reveal something. They had all those gifts operating there. And yet in that same church, some were weak, shouldn't have been, 
Some were sickly, shouldn't have been, and some died, shouldn't have died. That's why it says that. So we know this, that even though we have authority over the devil and even though we are equipped and the word of God is living and abiding in us, we can't make it work by sheer desire. If we're not anointed by the Lord, it won't work. Now, take the Old Testament idea uh, where it says fill with the Spirit. Turn to Exodus for a moment. In the book of Exodus, chapter 28, Exodus 28 and verse 3. See, this anointing that God gives is what enables us to do his work. If he doesn't give us that, we can't do it. Remember that time Jesus stood at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5 and those impotent folks laying around the pool were waiting for the water to be stirred by the angels so they could get down in the water and be healed? He didn't try to heal them. He just watched. Jesus watched. He just stood there and watched all of this. One man couldn't make it. He was worse off than the rest of them. Remember, Jesus healed him. Jesus healed him. Why didn't he heal all the rest of them? I don't know. But I know this, when he wants to heal somebody and he wants to use you to do it, he'll teach you how to be used of him and he'll make you confident that you can do this without being fearful. And when he does it, he does it. No looking back. But look at Exodus 31 and verse 3. Concerning Bezaliel, Bezaliel, the son of Uriah, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and God said, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, in a New Testament mindset, we would say he must have thrown his hands up in the air and started speaking in tongues. No, that's not what that means here. Let me show you. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. You see, Bezalia was going to make all those furniture pieces in the tabernacle. Everything from the ark to the table of showbread to the altar of incense and to the lamps on this side when you come in the door. He's going to make all of that and nobody else could make it like him because God specifically moved upon him with a skill and a talent to do that perfectly. And I don't know what kind of work Bezalio ever did before that, but when he started working on this, the people around him must have thought, wow, that guy is the best I ever saw. But where did his best I ever saw come from? Well, it came from the Lord. God gave it to him. That was his way of saying it filled him with the Spirit. Verse 4, to do something. Filled him with the Spirit to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carrying of timber to work all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, have given to him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach. How's that? Of the tribe of Dan. That's easy. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee. That's what this being filled with the Spirit implies. It implies an anointing, a special endowment from God to accomplish a specific purpose. Whether in this case it's making things or whether it's healing and deliverance. It must come when it works. It comes from God. Because you can do nothing of yourself. If you can do things by yourself, you have a reward coming because it works. And it doesn't work like that. Look in chapter 35. 35, verse 31. 
Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Zaleel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, to the tribe of Judah, and he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. Verse 35, Then hath he filled them with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work, whether it's ministering in the New Testament or in this case, building furniture. Everything was done divinely, perfectly, as God instructed. Even when he had to give a man, one man, a special anointing to make furniture. Could that be? Was the furniture perfect? Absolutely. And it was made out of wood. And then after it was made out of wood, they beat gold down until it was real thin. And they covered this thing with solid gold all over everything. Even the Ark of the Covenant behind the two curtains in the most holy place was gold-laden. People have been trying to find that. Indiana Jones has been hunting for it for a long, long time. But it's in heaven. The Ark is in heaven. John saw it. He said, I saw the Ark. So nobody's going to get it. It's already up in heaven. Besides, if on this earth, if somebody tried to get it, what would happen to them? They would die. Well, a gracious God kept a lot of bad people from dying because they died when they touched it. What about in the New Testament? What about this anointing? Turn to Luke 1. See, we're limited. That's what we're talking about. We are limited in what we can do. But as God initiates an anointing, we can do all things. There's nothing that we can't do. Luke chapter 1 and verse 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. John the Baptist, does that mean while he was in the womb as a fetus, he started speaking in tongues and wiggling real fast? No, it's a way of saying that I have given him a special anointing to do something very special in his life. He won't do it for a long, long time. When Jesus comes, he'll be beheaded and he'll die and he'll be done. He will have finished his course. But he said, from the very womb, this man, when he comes into the world, will have this special gifting, causing people to say, wow, man. But it came from God. Because if God didn't do that, John the Baptist couldn't do what he did. If he hadn't made him like that, it could never have been anything but just another child that was born. Look in verse 41, even his mother. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake. The next verse. See, she said something, something special, and then Mary said something special back to her. Both of them was prophetic. And even the father of John the Baptist, Zacharias, look in verse 67. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, would you say that in all of these cases, this being filled with the Spirit was a term the language the Bible used to describe something specific and special that could not otherwise be done without that. Yes. So when he anoints us, it's like we're filled with the Spirit to do something. Saul, remember that woman that had the spirit of divination in Acts 16? She followed Paul and Silas for several days and kept prophesying, these men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. 
And Bible says, Paul being grieved after several days, he turned and said to the spirit, he turned and said not to the woman, he turned and said to the spirit, come out of her. And he came out of her that same hour. It might not have been right away or immediately, but in that same hour, he came out. Because sometimes the devil doesn't always go at the beginning, but he goes. He goes. Sometimes it's after you're gone and later on, but he goes. You say, well, why would Paul want to cast a demon out of a woman like that? Same reason I wouldn't want a communist to back me or socialist. There's some people I don't want on my side. Hey, this is Brother Tom. Oh, Brother Tom. I don't want you on my side. I don't want people out there thinking we're together. I don't want us to even be thought of as being in the same room together. So he rebuked it, and the spirit came out of her, and she was through with what she did. Everybody got so mad. But that's the way it works. Acts chapter 4. Remember over there in Acts 4. Turn over there. When they were getting in trouble with the leaders over there, Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, they were told, don't preach in this name anymore. And Peter, boy, you got to like this. Here was a fisherman. And when they had set them in the midst of them, by what name have you done this? And Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. You better have that too. That's that moving of the Spirit of God upon his sources and his subjects to enable them to do something that they need him to do. Otherwise, they can't do it. You're not skillful enough to do things like this. God made you that way. But the wonderful things that happens with men happen because God does it through those men. That's why he has to find men that he can use. Some men want the glory. He doesn't use them. He uses the people that don't want the glory, that are just glad to be in the kingdom. You talked about Branham a while ago. You know, he had no education. He could read and write. But as I've read his life story, he's about the most simple man I've ever heard. I'm not endorsing him or anything. I'm just saying his life story was just a completely simple man that nobody would give a second thought to. And he had one of the greatest gifts of the word of knowledge and word of wisdom I ever saw. But he can use people like that. Now, some later on get rich and famous, and they want to take over, and then that anointing doesn't work like that anymore. Too many people started out well and didn't end up well, and they should have because they could have. Look at chapter 13 and verse 9. Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, verse 8, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith, and he's still doing that today or trying to. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him. Why didn't he set his eyes upon him before? Because God didn't move upon him before. He moved upon him at this particular time. I call this phrase filled with the Spirit in these moments to be equated to being anointed. A special endowment from God, a specific time to do a specific thing. It doesn't just last. It happens for that time to do that. It might come later, but this is what he does. And he looked at that sorcerer, and he said, Oh, thou... Full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? That's the clash of two kingdoms. The clash of two kingdoms. In verse 11, what happened? Blindness came upon that man. Who won? God. God won. 
Just as there were those couple times in the Bible where Paul turned a man over to the devil for destruction. I think a lot of people in churches, they ought to be glad that that hadn't happened very much in the church because God does give that kind of authority. He does. I have watched in the last 25, 30 years, I have watched a lot of people who were rude in their behavior, spiritual behavior, fall apart. 30 years later, their lives have fallen apart. Mouthy people, gossipy, critical, especially the critical people. I've watched people's lives fall apart and come to a stop spiritually. And they never realized that a long time ago, the devil made you think you're so right and more right than anybody else that you just couldn't keep your mouth shut about how wrong everybody else was. Especially when their children were little and everything. And oh, yeah, yeah, you all. And then one day, it just life just fell apart. It's a wonderful thing as we'll finish this tonight to be humble. Because God wants us to be clean before the Lord. But our limitations, sometimes Jesus said, this kind goeth not out by prayer and fasting. And Christians occasionally pray. They pray once in a while, maybe three minutes a month, maybe. Somewhere two to five minutes a month, I think the average Christian might just stop and pray. Not in an emergency, but just as a matter of life. If you counted up all your lunch and supper prayers, it'd be five minutes a month, wouldn't it? Thank you for the world, sweet. Thank you for the food, sweet. Thank you for the birds, sweet. Thank you, God, for everything. Or we thank you, Lord, for this food and ask you to bless us as we partake of it to the nourishment of, of our bodies in Jesus' name. That's four seconds. If we do that once a day, you know, we get five minutes in a month. Jesus said, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Who fasts? What Christian has a pattern of fasting in their lives? Who does? Well, why should we? Some folks say, well, how about just fasting one day a week, devoting yourself because of your need to be prepared at all times. What about that, especially like on a day of a meeting, to keep yourself in tune with the Lord. You know, when you're fasting, you're thinking about something spiritual generally because you know you like to eat, but you know I'm, I'm not eating today because Jesus said this kind goes not out but by prayer and fasting. A lot of Christians never fast, never, ever fast. And consequently, they never are useful in deliverance and a lot of healing. There's a connection there. Maybe one day we'll take a shot at that. And besides that, these gifts of the Spirit work as he wills. You cannot just work gifts and you cannot work power. You have to be available and let the power work through you. Now, I've had a lot of people in my life call me and say, well, I want to come over and see you. I want you to take me through deliverance. Now, I've just said in point two, I'm limited. I can't turn on and turn off spiritual things. I'm limited. When there's an anointing there, you can be real successful. When it's not, you can try real hard and you can shake, rattle, and roll, but nothing will happen. And I've had to tell people, finally, when I got enough courage to tell them, just be honest. I said, well, I don't know that I can do that. Well, I thought you believed me. I, I do. But I can't just do what I want to do to help you whenever I want to. I have to be led of the Lord, just like Jesus was led of the Lord. 
Jesus didn't just decide to go places. Every day he said, I do those things that please my father. He was in tune. He had a relationship with the Lord, just like we're supposed to have. So we don't miss it. So we know what we're supposed to do. And I've upset more than one person. said, well, you can come if you want to, but I can't assure you that, you know, that anything will happen. Would you lay hands on me and pray? I said, well, I'll be glad to lay hands on you and pray, but I don't know if I can pray the prayer of faith. I don't know if God wants to do this right now. What if you are under a curse? What if there is sin in your life? What if you're addicted to sin in some way and you're troubled with physical problems? You say, I want a man pray for me. So I, I don't know that I can get you free. I don't know that. I know that, that God has given to us whatever it takes to do anything that he wants done. But not as you will, but it's as he wills. And if people come to you and there's an anointing there to do it, go for it. How will I know if I'm anointed? Well, it won't be because they fall down. Because I've seen professional faller downers. Well, I have. I was there when all this started. I've seen ladies get in line and look back first, make sure that catcher's back, and then grab a skirt like this. And go down. And boy, you can see them thinking, you better catch me. I've laid hands on a lot of people trying to fall, and I'd hold them up. I've also laid hands on people that I tried to hold up and I couldn't. They just fell. I'm saying, get up. But they were out. I saw a man fall on a nun one night in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and fell on that helmet, just fell right on top of it. A habit they call it. Just fell right on top of it, stood off of her, didn't move it off of her face, didn't hurt her. He's a big man. There's times that God does things that are genuine and real. Then there's a lot of copying, too. Here's the point. I can't make that happen because I know it happens. But when God anoints you to pray for people, you're not trying to make that happen. You're just trying to release what he gives you. Then he said, as the Father has given to me, so give I to you. You just be faithful to that. Do I lay hands on them? Well, I do lay hands on them. Maybe they will marvelously be healed. I hope so. And no anointing and no stirring and no, uh, fine. But we all individually have to learn how to walk in the light that we have so we can be useful in the Lord who does things that he does through people like us. It's just don't try to make it work. Don't try to do all of these things. Just let the Lord make it work. And thirdly, there are certain things that I find, especially in dealing with yourselves, setting out here tonight, and getting delivered from things that you have realized are in your life. Some addiction, porno spirits, homosexual spirits, the urgings, even the thoughts. You don't have to do it. Just the urgings. That's the devil. Addicted to video games. How many kids today, they get no vitamin D. They don't get outside because they're in a house playing a video game or in a computer all day long thumb talking to somebody. You can get so addicted to that stuff that you can't wait for church to end so you can go do it. I remember years ago playing the Pac-Man, a little chomp, chomp, chomp thing. Y'all remember? A guy I ran with was so good at that. We could sit there and put a lot of quarters in that machine to see how far he could go with Pac-Man. I'll never forget this. I was in only Illinois one night, 
And I was just through preaching, people were coming up, and I said, man, I hope that's the last one because we can go back and play that Pac-Man game. And I realized, that ain't right. That ain't right. I mean, it can happen. I thought, that ain't right. That ain't right. So I got away from it. Got away from it. Pac-Man is not anointed. <laughs> if you're going to get free, there's five things. One, Humility. Nobody's going to get free with God who isn't humble first. And a lot of people can be real proud about who they are and what they've got or how far they've come in life and all the books have been written about them or all the fame that they have or something. It's very hard for some of those people to condescend, humble themselves before the Lord. Or even like that senator that went to the little storefront church in Louisville down on Shelby Street. I mean, he had to humble himself to go to that church. And when he found out who he was, he thought, oh, man. But see, that was part of the humility that it took to bring him to where God could really use him spiritually. And we can be proud about a lot of things. We can think we're somebody when we're really not. And we got some problems we don't want anybody to know about. And because we never humble ourselves, especially the person you, God directs you to go to, the brother, to pray for you, and you want to share these things, and you want to get rid of this in your life, and yet you feel like this brother is less than, uh, you know, you won't get delivered. You'll keep it with you the rest of your life. You'll go through trouble and turmoil and stirred up and all of that. Like he said in Isaiah 57 and verse 15, if you'll allow me to read this, Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, true humility is not an abject, groveling, self-despising spirit, but it is a right estimate of ourself as God sees us. And once you begin to see that you're not what you thought you were in the eyes of God, because God may look at you and say, you're somebody I can't even use. I can't even use you. Your estimation of yourself is so lofty that I can't use you. And until you come down, you'll be judged. Humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, the Bible says. John the Baptist said concerning Jesus, whose shoes I am not worthy to untie. Or the centurion in Matthew 8, I am not worthy that you should come under my house. This was a big deal. He was a big shot. He said, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. That's humility. That's why God responds to people like this. Remember Psalm 51 and verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. If you want to be free, whoever in this room needs to deal with some things in your life, nobody knows about, that's fine. God does. You have to humble yourself before God. And secondly, you have to be honest. Honest. Don't justify yourself. Admit it. Honesty. Again, in Psalm 51 and verse 6, he said, Behold, thou desirest truth 
in the inward parts. You hide nothing in your life that acknowledges your failure. As a father, a mother, a son or a daughter, a leader, a human being. Honest. Don't cover it up. Admit it. You're wrong. There is nobody in this room who needs to be set free from things that will ever get set free if you're not humble and you're not honest. God's going to expose you or he's going to reject you. But he exposes you not to humiliate us, but to set you free. Because a man has to let go of who he thinks he is so that God can have him and do what he wants to. And the third thing that has to happen is to confess your sin. Don't hide it and don't justify that either. Don't water it down and say, well, I'm not the only one. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Admit it. I said that long ago to somebody. Admit it. You're wrong. You're wrong. Quit justifying your wrong. You are wrong. Confess it. Well, I don't want to. No, this is the way it works. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sins shall have mercy. Not just confessing, but forsaking it. Have mercy. Again, in Psalm 51, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. That's what King David said to God. You are altogether right. I am altogether wrong. I have sinned before you. I have done you wrong. And if you judge me and this is the end of my life, you are just in doing it because I deserve it. That's why he got delivered and set free. And this is what he had a heart after God, a heart that God wanted in all of us. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Another thing you have to do is you have to call on the Lord. Not only confess your sin, but call upon the Lord. Oh, God, I have humbled myself. I am not hiding anything from you. I confess my sins before you. And I call upon you now. I speak to you with my mouth. Oh, God, deliver me. Twice in the New Testament and one in the Old, where it came from, these words, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. But you've got to call upon his name. I can't deliver you. Nobody else can deliver you. Only God can. He uses us to help you and instruct you and to assist you in some way, but only God can do it. And what are we? We are his People of his pasture, we're the people that God uses to go to these bound souls in this world to help them get free, but only God can do it. And finally, fifthly, you command the devil to go. You confess with your mouth, in the name of Jesus, I command thee to depart from me and to leave me alone and come back no more. Some of you have done it many times. In Acts 16 and 18, it says, And this she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus to come out of her. You say that. You address the devil. 
You don't act like because you're a Christian, he leaves you because he's still after you. You give place to him, he follows you in the pew, he sits down beside you. He might put you to sleep or give you other things to think about and you miss the whole point of the message. And you're no different next year than you were this year and next decade than you were this decade. Because the devil knows in whom he can do his work. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. He spoke the words. You'll have to speak them too. In Acts chapter 9, there was a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make up thy bed. And he rose immediately. Now, we'll end with this. We are whom God is going to use. Would to God we would all want to be used. That we would all seek to make ourselves ready and useful to the Lord. That whatever it takes for us to be good soldiers of the cross, to be the kind of vessel that God can anoint and send wherever he wants to send us, that we won't quit and give up. He wants those kind of people. The devil fears one thing. He fears a believer armed with the truth, unafraid of dispensing it. That's whom he fears. That's why he fights you right now while you're in this room. That's why he tells you that you can't get free from the things that you've been thinking about in your life, those little habits or addictions that you might have. Food addictions, TV addictions, romance book addictions. You might be surprised. And he says, I want you free because as long as you like that, I can't use you. The devil's got you. So you set yourself down and you say, I want to be free. I know there's things in this room tonight that some of you need to deal with. As best I know how, as quickly and briefly as it was, I've tried to tell you how to deal with it. Now you go deal with it. You don't have to tell everybody about it, but if you've got problems in your life, deal with it. I don't want to be constrained by a pornographic spirit and be looking with lust on women or I don't want to do this or that or be bound this way. Or I don't want that in my life. I really want to be right with God. Lord, whatever it takes, I want you to set me free. Open my eyes and show me what I need. And let him do that. We're not just having church tonight. God's trying to teach us something about how to live the life he wants us to live. So he can send you into the fire. And so the devil says, oh, no, one of those Shelbyville Christian Assembly people are coming. And I can't talk them out of this because they know more than they should know. Could it be possible? I hope so. Close your Bibles. I pray so. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And these really are your people. They're not mine. I'm one of them. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't have needs, especially a need to be holy, to be blameless, to be an overcomer. Open our eyes. I continue to ask you to open the eyes of all of us here, these people. Give us an urge to follow Jesus on his terms, to deal with our lives and deal with any dark closets in our lives and get rid of stuff. Teach us to hide nothing from you, for you know everything. Minister to us. Deliver us from evil. As Jesus taught us to pray, I pray tonight that you would deliver us 
from evil. All forms, types, and kinds of it. And make us free and useful. And be pleased with us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.